0: everyone. Get a copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, wherever you are, uh, make sure that you have a copy of God's Word on your own. Whether that's your phone, your computer, or your hard copy of the Bible, open up with me. And some of you may ask, well, what's so important about that? You're opening your Bible. Well, As part of this, even though we're quarantined, even though we're in different places, even though you get to listen to this from the comfort of wherever you're at right now, uh, it's so important that we don't get in this pattern or this habit of simply turning on someone else, opening up the Bible, and not doing it ourselves. And in fact, I would challenge you and encourage you, read Scripture leading up to Sunday during the week, and if you're wondering, well, how are we supposed to know what that's going to be on or what we should read? And by Tuesday or Wednesday each week, if you go to our Facebook page, uh, you go, uh, you go online, you'll see specifically, uh, an outline of this week's message and scripture passages and discussion questions that you can review and go over, read the text ahead of time. This is all meant for you to get the practice of preparing, studying, reading God's Word because at the end of the day, my goal, my desire is that you would be equipped to do this on your own. That me sitting up here would not be a replacement for you opening the Bible for yourself and reading it, but that it would be a motivation for you to dig deeper and go further. Because realistically... The amount of time that we have together opening God's word together is minute in comparison to the time we should be spending in the Bible on our own feeding off of those truths and growing together in that. So I encourage you to do that right now get your Bibles Matthew chapter 14 while you're turning there uh you notice I got props today and I'm really excited about that. But I want to start by trying to give you a visual and challenge some of your thinking before we jump into the text of scripture. Uh, if you're anything like me, I, I remember visuals so much better than I remember most of the words that are spoken. And so in recognition of that, I want to give you some visuals. And so I've got several different types of looking devices here. And the first one I'll highlight is I've got, I've got a pair of binoculars. And binoculars are great for seeing far away. If you've got something that's far out there, maybe you can see the shape or figure of something. Or maybe you're just scanning and looking across the long distance, seeing what you can see. And so these are helpful, and you get different sizes of them. You can get ones that see so far away that there's no way your naked eye is going to be able to make out what is there. And so you might grab these if you if you have a curiosity about what's what's out there. And what I want these to represent this morning is... Looking at what's to come. What, what is far out? What is a ways out that I can't see just sitting here right now? What, what is yet to come? I want you to consider those representing that. Now, if you're a detail-oriented person, and maybe you're less concerned with far out, and more concerned about, well, how far out is something, then you might get something like this. And uh, This is a range finder, and is used to identify exactly how far away is something. And uh, some of you may be going, that would be really nice to have practically right now if I could know how much longer I'm going to be stuck in my house or unable to go to work or whatever it might be. You may be wishing, I really would love to have a life gauge range finder to determine how far out this is. So imagine that representing that. Now the next thing that I've got is I've got a magnifying glass and you can see uh, this, presently, would be used for me to bring into larger view or more focus something that's already here. Something right now that I see, but I want to see better. I want to uh, understand better. I want to understand or see the fine-tuned details of what's going on right now, what's happening. Um, this would be what I'd encourage you to use or understand if you feel like you don't have a great knowledge of Scripture. Well, in that case, we need to take a proverbial magnifying glass to understanding what are the details here that I'm missing, or what do I need to understand more? What, what needs to take place in order for me to grow beyond where I am? So we have that. Now the last thing I have is I have this mirror. I have this mirror here, and a mirror we're going to use primarily to take a look at our, ourselves. And many of us will wake up in the morning and one of the first things you do is you're you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to see, what do I need to change? What do I need to do to get ready for the day? But we could also identify the functionality of a mirror being used to see what's behind us, what's in the past, what's maybe tracking with us that we didn't recognize before, or we didn't take time to really look and see Or maybe we try to use a mirror to identify things in the past or focus on things in the past instead of living in the present. So a mirror can really have multiple applications in that sense. Now, all of these ultimately are used for one primary purpose. They're used for the purpose of focusing our eyes, our attention, on something in a way that we can't just on our own. Focusing our attention on something that maybe we don't see fully or don't understand the full depth of. And so we use a tool like this. And I want to expound upon that concept this morning as we look at Matthew 14. But more specifically, if you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to grasp this main idea. This main idea, so focus in on this, wrestle with this, be challenged by this. And that main idea is simply this, when the waves grow and the winds blow, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, wherever you're at right now, I want you as a family or as a couple or as an individual to say that last phrase, fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to count to three. I want you to repeat that so that we're partnering in this and we're grasping this. Okay? So one, two, three. Alright. So as we continue into this, I want to give you a little bit of background leading up to what we're going to read in Matthew chapter 14. And we're ultimately going to start in verse 22 and walk all the way through verse 33. But... Understanding what's happening right before this is crucial to us grasping the entirety of what's taking place. And so if you go back to the beginning of chapter 14, you see a story about Herod and John the Baptist. Now that name may sound familiar, but I want to encourage you, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, then jot down in your notebook or in your margins of your Bible, jot down John chapter 1. And after this is all done, go and read about John the Baptist. Because there's familial ties to Jesus here, but there's also ties to Jesus' ministry. Specifically that John the Baptist was really a forerunner to pave the way for all that Jesus was going to preach and talk about. And so in this first part of Matthew 14, it actually portrays how John the Baptist ends up dying. He's actually beheaded by Herod. And so at at the end of that section of identifying John the Baptist's death, we actually see in verse 13 of Matthew 14 that Jesus has just heard about this. And when he heard about this, he withdrew to a place that was for the purpose of, of really being alone, being by himself, away from the crowds of people, away from the hustle and bustle of ministry that had been going on. And so Jesus gets to this place, but... Jesus is a popular guy at this point he's well into his ministry people have seen the miraculous works he's done They've seen all that's transpired and so people are eager to follow after Jesus because man when this guy's around stuff happens Stuff happens And so even though Jesus withdrew by boat He gets to this place and all these crowds of people come on foot and gather once again and we see in the text of Matthew 14 that Jesus has compassion on these people. And so he begins doing ministry, as he has been prone to do up to this point. He begins healing people, and they they do this until evening. And what we can gather from this narrative is that they do this really until the point where people were hungry. It was time for people to eat. And if you read in the other Gospels, the disciples are saying, Hey, Jesus, we should send... Uh, these people away to go get food we, we should send them away and and be done for the day And jesus challenges the disciples and basically says no you're going to feed them And so they have this dialogue and they're going man Even 200 denarii worth of food is not going to make a dent in the amount of people that are here And so then what transpires Is ultimately uh, The narrative that <clears throat> many people have heard before where jesus feeds Thousands of people with the loaves and the fish. And this miracle happens and they collect all this food at the end. And just a little side note for you, many people identify this story. And even your Bible in the, in the chapter heading may say Jesus feeds the 5,000. But if you look at verse 21, it actually states that those who were about 5,000 was actually just the men besides women and children. So, there was way more than 5,000 people here. We actually don't know the vastness of the amount of people, which just emphasizes even more the miracle that's taken place at this time. Now, even though it doesn't communicate this in Matthew 14, if you read the same story in John chapter 6, we see that right after this, the people were convinced that Jesus is the one who's going to rule and reign and be their king, right then and there. And so groups of people were starting to gather and say, we need to make him our king, right now. And this is not what Jesus' focus is at this point. This is not the time where he comes and rules and reigns physically on earth. And so all at once, Jesus makes his disciples leave, says get in the boat, start crossing back over. And then he sends the crowds away and nullifies the situation. And then spends that time alone that he originally came there to do to begin with. So this is where our story picks up, and I'm going to start reading in verse 22 of Matthew 14. And we're going to read bits and pieces, and we're going to stop and, and ch- be challenged by some of the realities taking place. So join me, verse 22, Matthew 14. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear, Evaluate this text and consider its implications in our current situation, our own life. I pray that you would help us to see where we're fixing our own eyes right now. But more importantly, that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to focus our attention on the things above, not the things on earth. Lord, that you may be glorified. Teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this is crazy what's taking place. Jesus sends his disciples away. They begin traveling across the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, the wind picks up, the waves are crashing, the wind's against them. So you can imagine these guys in the boat, struggling against the the seas, struggling to get across. And it says that it's actually in the fourth watch of the night that Jesus comes to them, walking on the water. Now the fourth watch some of you may have a subtitle in your bible that communicates this to you but the fourth watch is really between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning so this is late we're talking it is not daylight it is not somehow in the middle of the day where you can see a ways out <clears throat> we're talking in the middle of the night crashing against the waves wind is blowing beating against them this is this is a crazy event that's happening so jesus comes walking they're rightfully scared at the sight of this man walking on the water, as any of us would be in the same scenario. And then we see this communication go back and forth between, between the disciples and Jesus himself. And Peter gets up the gumption and he says, Jesus, if it's really you, ask me to come to you. And so Jesus does. Peter steps out, walks on the water, and then you see probably one of the most focused on elements in this narrative. Peter starts to sink. Now, if you look at the text as to why that happened, we see in verse 30 of Matthew 14 that when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out. And so the point I want to make out of this in seeing Peter's response is something that's applicable to all of us, and that is our confidence shifts based on where our eyes are fixed. Our confidence shifts based on where our eyes are fixed. And this is true, not just in this narrative, but we could identify this truth in our own day-to-day lives. We could identify that, man, when things are going well, and I don't have other stuff to distract me, I can live a pretty focused life on Christ. I read my Bible, I pray, I give praise to Him, I thank Him for what I have. But then, when the wind picks up, and the waves get big, my focus often tends to turn to the waves and the wind it tends to go the direction of whoa look at look at this oh man this is scary oh oh my goodness how am i supposed to respond to this <coughs> and peter experiences the same thing where as soon as he took his eyes off of jesus and began focusing on the waves and the wind that's when he started to sink and so there's application here, even thinking through, what causes my confidence to shift? Right now in this scenario, what causes my focus to shift, my eyes to shift, everything about what I'm doing to shift away from Jesus, away from the truth of who God is, to anything and everything else around me? Because when my, what my confidence shifts based on where my eyes are fixed, and so if I'm lacking confidence today, if you're lacking confidence today in the current scenario challenge yourself to ask that question. Where are my eyes focused right now? What tool am I using right now? Now, as we go on in this narrative, we're going to pick up in verse 30 and go on to through verse 31. It says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt Now, this brings about the second truth that I want you to wrestle with. And that's, when we find ourselves sinking, cry out to Jesus. When we find ourselves sinking, cry out to Jesus. Now, I specifically put the word when in there because I'm convinced that every one of us, if we haven't already experienced this, are going to go through a season where we feel like we're sinking where we feel like we are drowning, we have become so focused on everything around us, my to-do list, all that needs to transpire, all that needs to take place, that my eyes are definitely not fixed on Jesus, and my confidence, therefore, is not in Christ. I am living as if my confidence is in my own ability to deal with life. And so, no matter when you find yourself in that place, what this reveals is, you need to to cry out to Jesus. And Peter does this, Peter does this right away. Jesus, save me. Save me, Jesus. How often is that our initial response? Now, you could argue with me and say, Well, Pastor Matt, Peter is literally drowning. And I would say to you, Have not you experienced the season where you felt like you were literally drowning? Even in a a mental sense, an emotional sense, a relational sense. I know I have. I've had seasons of life where it was so dark and so discouraging and so challenging that I felt like I was drowning. And I wish I could say that in every one of those seasons, my first response was to go, Lord, save me. Deliver me from this. But it wasn't. Sometimes it is. But we have to challenge and remind ourselves... With this truth that ultimately, if I cry out to Jesus in the midst of this... He's promised to be present and He's promised to be above whatever we're dealing with... In a way that He can raise us above that. Does that mean that all of a sudden... We're going to be in a place where we feel like there's no storm at all taking place? No, it doesn't. Just because Jesus has the ability to raise us above what is happening... And give us a confidence that's ultimately rooted in Him... Doesn't mean that all of a sudden... The storms are just going to stop for you. It's not promised that that's going to take place. But when we find ourselves sinking, cry out to Jesus. There's so much application there. That in and of itself could be the challenge for you today that you just need to focus on, is crying out to Jesus. Now, this narrative continues in verse 32, where it says, And when they got into the boat, they being Peter and Jesus... The wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, the application point from this comes more down the road, more in the future, more in preparation for what's to come. And that's this, when the wind and the waves ceased, the people worshipped. Now, I don't have to communicate to you that the pattern tends to be when things get ugly, when things get bad. We tend to turn to the Lord. We tend to maybe pursue God in a way that we haven't because we're afraid that maybe we've caused this. Similar to the story of Jonah where this storm is happening because of what Jonah has done. And it's only after Jonah is thrown into the sea that it all stops, right? We tend to approach scenarios like what we're in today with the same mentality that maybe this is happening because of the sin in my life that I haven't dealt with and maybe this is happening because I haven't attended church or maybe this is happening because you fill in the blank and yet the reality is when this passes when this ends and we move on to the next challenge in life will you continue to worship the God who created the universe will you continue to praise His name and all the more being able to see His ability to cause this to cease? Is that the approach we will take? It's something I believe we need to dialogue about as the church. We need to talk with our family about. We need to be in conversation about how do we respond, not just right now, but when this is all said and done, what's going to be different? What's going to be different in my own life? What's going to be different in our home? What's going to be different when I go to work? What am I going to appreciate more? How am I going to worship differently in light of who God is coming out of this this crisis this time? Now, realistically, I want to shift this into an application time to think practically about what does this look like? And the question I want to start with as we enter thinking about how do I apply this? And there's multiple applications and the points that have already been listed. But I want you to ask the question to yourself right now, what wind and waves are the scariest to you right now? What is it crashing around you right now that scares you the most? And for many of you, it may be just the unknown that this virus is causing. For others of you, it may be something that was already going on, and this is just added to it. But I want you to fill in that blank. What is it? that is scaring you the most right now? What wind and waves have seemed to groan that has caused you to be the most fearful right now? And then in the midst of that, I want you to do a self-evaluation. Because once you identify, this seems to be the scariest thing for me right now. The second follow-up to that is asking the question, where are my eyes fixed? Where is my focus at? In relation to whatever, whatever... answer to that question was, you now need to answer the question, where are my eyes focused? Where are my eyes fixed in the midst of this? And so there's two questions I want you to ask yourself as self-evaluation in order to determine where your eyes are focused. The first one is what am I fixing my physical eyes on? What am I fixing my physical eyes on? Just like Peter in the narrative, when he had his physical eyes fixed on that which was true, In this case, the person of Jesus. He was fine. As soon as his eyes became physically fixed on the wind and the waves and everything going on, that changed really quickly. So if your physical eyes are primarily fixed on the media, they're primarily fixed on news, Facebook, etc. That's what is going to feed into... Your confidence. So if there's confidence coming through those outlets, man, you're going to feel good. But if there's fear and there is unknown that's communicated through those avenues, that's where your confidence, that's, you're going to follow the same trajectory and the same track and it will not be consistent as we have seen time and time and time and time again. Now the second question may be a little more challenging. We could easily identify through various means where our physical eyes are fixed. Just ask your spouse. Ask someone close to you. Where do you think my physical eyes are fixed the most right now? But the second one is where am I fixing my mental eyes? And this is a lot more challenging. Because this causes us to stop and really think about what goes on inside my mind that nobody else knows. In, in times like this, in seasons like this, those are, those are the instances where anxiety and depression And loneliness tend to rule and reign. And some of you have dealt with those things, are dealing with those things, long before a crisis like this came about. And I want you to know that Jesus is walking above even the the places where you feel the most defeated, where you feel the most discouraged, where you feel the most alone. Jesus knows. God knows. He understands. But where you choose to focus, not just your physical eyes, but your mental eyes, is going to be the difference between responding in a healthy way or diving further into that hole. Evaluate where your eyes are fixed. Now, there's a fourth point here. And to to understand that, I want to go back to verse 28 and 29 in this narrative because we often miss this. And this is where things get really practical for us as we evaluate where we're at and where our eyes are focused at. But if we go back to 28 and 29, it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. This is the thing I want you to to wrestle with the most. With your eyes fixed on Jesus. Get out of the boat. Peter. In this scenario. Literally gets out of the boat. And walks on water towards Jesus. Think about for a minute. The faith it took to do that. With all that had been going on. They've been fighting these waves. For hours. They're miles into the sea, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. Peter says, if it's really you, ask me to come to you. Now, he didn't say he was going to, but Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. Talk about stepping out of your comfort zone. Literally, everything that would make you comfortable in the middle of their situation, he steps out of. Why? Because his eyes were so focused on Jesus, that for a moment... None of that mattered. And so I want to challenge you, when you determine where your eyes are fixed, and you come up with an idea or a game plan to say, I have got to root myself into truth. I've got to focus my attention on Christ. And maybe that's where you start. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, and you're going, how do I even begin to fix my eyes on Jesus? And I'm going to tell you, the first thing, the first step to fixing your eyes on Christ, is to decide whether or not you believe who... He said He is. Who He revealed Himself to be. As the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? And rose again that you could have the hope and promise of eternity that's not rooted here because Jesus is not bound by these earthly entities, including death. And if you believe that Jesus came to earth, that He died again, that He rose to prove that He had power over death, and that He's coming again to redeem the world. If you believe that, that's the first step in fixing your eyes on Jesus. The next step is to understand further who He is and what He has called us to as the church. Those in Christ, those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, you are the church. It is not this building that I'm sitting in. It is not the structures that you go to once a week. It is you, Christ, God's Spirit dwells in you. You are the church. And so what would it look like when we have our eyes focused on Jesus for us to get out of the boat? And here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you today to come up with a family plan. We don't know how bad this crisis is going to get. If it goes the direction that many are saying it will, we could experience unprecedented amount of grief Pain, need for resources. And we've already encountered a season where we've had to pause, put things on hold, and shift our focus, shift our methods. But we can't stay there, church. We can't stay in this state of wondering, oh, how long are we going to be on pause? We're not on pause. Life is still moving forward. People still need to hear the gospel. Our community has needs that need met right now. And so I want you to consider with your family today in a step to say, not only are we going to seek to fix our eyes on Jesus, but we want to get out of the boat. I want you to ask these questions. What, What will need done? If this continues to grow and get as bad as they think it will in the next couple of weeks, that's how long they're saying it could be. What will need done? Who will need food? Who will need resources? Think outside of just your own selves. Think outside of your own family. Think beyond that to the community around. Think of people who are at at risk in the midst of this, who don't have transportation, who don't have the ability to get to the store, who don't have family members who live close, or who are able to take care of those needs for them. What will need done? Secondly, what can we do? And by we, I'm talking about you in the midst of your families. What can we do? Have this conversation. What, What can we do practically? Logically, should we even leave our house? If you're in an at-risk category, you should be cautious. And the answer to that question, what can we do, will be different than someone else down the street. The third question is, how will we do it? If we can identify what needs done and what we can do, the follow-up to that is, how, how will we go about accomplishing that? How will we do it? And then the last step in that is, when will we start? At what point do we begin putting this into motion and practicing this? Now these are all questions and conversations our leadership is having right now. Seeking to prepare and equip us to mobilize our church in the instance that this does get as bad as they're saying. We don't know. But I can tell you right now that I would rather us be having these conversations and be prepared and it not happen. Than for this to get bad and the church scrambling and saying, we don't know what to do. We don't know what this should look like. And so, as we think about fixing our eyes on Jesus, as we think about focusing our attention on Him, the next step in the midst of that is getting out of the boat. Having a faith like Peter to say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to walk towards Jesus. Knowing that this may be really uncomfortable and really scary. But my focus, my eyes are going to be fixed on the one who I know controls it all. I'm reminded in Matthew 8, verse 27, another time that the sea just calmed when Jesus was present. And it says that the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Our God is more powerful than any manner of wind and waves that we're going to encounter whether that be today or in the future. He's over it all. He has it all in His control. And He's longing for us to just fix our eyes on Him. To return to a place where we're focused on what He's called us to be focused on. And to live as Christ in a community, in a world that desperately needs to know that hope. Join me in that church. Join me in that pursuit. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for your word and the challenge it brings and God yet we recognize that our eyes have to be fixed on you if we're going to step out of the boat God I pray for the individual today who's struggling with anxiety and depression and loneliness in the midst of this season I pray for comfort and encouragement for them I pray for those who have underlying health issues who this has caused further fear because they're very at risk if they were to come into contact with this I pray for a comfort that's rooted in your promises and in your protection over their lives. God, I'm so grateful that you have given us your Son, that in Christ we're redeemed. In Christ we have a hope that is eternal in nature. God, may you mobilize us as your people to impact and care for our community in this time, that we would be confident stepping out into the wind and the waves around us walking towards Jesus and pointing others back to Him in the midst of this time. We commit all of this into Your hands. Pray that You would grow us to be more like Your Son. And it's in His name we pray.